welcome to a very special episode of the Angry Sun Zone. I'm Santo. And I'm, I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Yeah, and today we're going to be going through our favorite games. We've all got a list of 15 with various amounts of ranking done between them. And yeah, we're going to go over them and discuss them. These games mean a lot to us, so it should be a pretty interesting discussion. We also don't know each other's lists, so that'll be a treat to find out. Yeah, I I think I'm probably in the uh, most knowledgeable position here. I think I have some ideas about Santo's list, but I also think his list has changed since last time I heard it, so it'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, we'll see how good your memory is on that one. Also, I might have forgotten half of the games, that's true. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I've got a actual, like, every game on my list is ranked, so I'll be, I'll be saying the numbers, because everybody likes numbers. Yeah, I've also, I've also put mine in, in an order, <laughs> uh, so I have numbers. It's really tough. It's really tough to, like, rank these games, especially, like, going through and narrowing down, like, oh, what are my favorite games, like, of all time? And then you kind of got to make decisions that are tough. Yeah. They're going to make you unhappy. I recommend you don't do it. (laughs) Unless you're a crazy person like me who has kept this list for like four or five years <laughs> but anyways let's get into it this might be a long one so uh i suppose i'll start because i'm pretty sure the first game i talk about well it's it's a conversation starter for sure uh number 15 on my list is uh, super smash brothers brawl Ooh-hoo-hoo. now Ooh. we, we've definitely mentioned we all love smash and we i'm looking at the tv right now and we have smash ultimate up as we were playing it right before we started recording. And the reason why I chose Brawl as my favorite of the Smash Brothers games is that I feel like it's the most complete package. Now, yes, Smash Ultimate has, like, the most characters, a mind-boggling amount of stages, and some cool other features to it, like the Squad Strike and whatever. But Smash Bros. Brawl, I feel, has the best single-player offering of all the games. With the Subspace Emissary mode. It is... It is pretty good, actually. Agree, it's it's yeah. pretty yeah. much a full fl- it's pretty much a full fledged platforming game in its own right. Yeah. Now, I don't actually think that mode is very fun or good, but they <laughs> tried. Damn it! And if you're going to make this incredible, ambitious crossover game, what I want to see is characters interacting with each other, and the cutscenes in Subspace Emissary were great for that. Like it. Some of them were, like, super cool, super badass. Some of them were genuinely hilarious. Like, when Luigi showed up and just got got by King DDD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like... Okay, yeah. that's one thing I will say. Nintendo's always had this, like, strange knack for putting out these amazing, incredible cutscenes in some games that are just, like, so random. I mean... Oh, yeah. Uh, I doubt this game made any of our lists, but uh, Mario Tennis... Oh uh, my god. The cutscenes, yes. the one for the GameCube, mm-hmm. the cutscenes in that are honestly, you should watch them on YouTube even if you've never played that game because they're absolutely hilarious. Yeah, the op- the opening cutscene is like it's like 5 or 6 minutes long. 
and it's just Wal- Wario and Waluigi doing hijinks. It's amazing. It, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Wario and Waluigi's hijinks are the highlight of, of that. I have to confess, and I know the, I don't know if you guys have done this too, but I actually uh, I watched the whole thing as a movie after I beat the game. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably out there on YouTube compiled that way too. Yeah, I bet. Definitely. I bet. The tube's got it. Yeah. So uh, then the other thing, uh, so the other thing I'm just thinking, how are we going to deal with uh, duplicates here? I mean, I'm guessing that both of you have a Smash Brothers game on your list. Yes. Yeah, so Probably. We're just, we're just if you about... want to talk about it now, that's fine. Or we can... Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. All right. Uh... I do have uh, uh, one more other specific thing to say about um, Brawl, and that's... Uh, like, it had the tournament feature from the gate. Smash 4 didn't have the tournament feature in this entire goddamn run. <laughs> Despite them saying once that, hey, we're going to put a tournament feature in here. And I also feel like Brawl introduced... Brawl also introduced uh, Final Smashes, which are cool, though they've been a bit dumbed down over the years, or a bit samey now. And the crop of characters that they added to Brawl, I think was the last like set that I'm like, wow, this these were a, these were really great additions across the board. Like Ike, awesome. Wario, amazing. King DDD, everybody likes King DDD. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Snake, yeah. you love to hate him. Oh, it's fucking Snake. Oh Snake. Yeah. Alright, so for me, uh I did a tier list. That's that's what's happening here. All right, and so uh, coincidentally, uh, now that we're talking about the Smash Bros. series, we're going to start at start at the top with uh, S tier, Super Smash Brothers Melee. That mm-hmm. one was my favorite, and uh, I think it was just the atmosphere that it created um, and my experience as a gamer, because Melee was very fast paced. Uh, there was a high amount of technical learning that you could do to get better at the game and uh, uh, went over with powerful combos and stuff. Um, and the, the community at the time was very different than what we experience today where, you know, we can yeah, be locked in indoors, you know, and playing with each other. But back then, it was very much... Uh, we would all be at one place. We're all hanging out at somebody's house. We're practicing and getting better and uh, having a great time doing it. We were experimenting. We glitched that game, I remember. <laughs> there was uh, oh, the black, the black hole, hole glitch. Yeah. And uh, and then there'd be things like uh, Luigi's Super Rocket uh, and uh, Samus with uh, the weird glitching of her moves to be able to fly across the map in... Uh, uh, in ball mode, it was a it was a blast for me, um, and I would also just say that I think we have sunk probably thousands upon, perhaps even tens of thousands of hours in our lifetime. I would imagine, like it's it's a lot. I, mean, I don't. I mean, not collectively, ten, not collectively, ten, collectively, not tens of thousands, collectively. We might hit five thousand between all three of us. Yeah, but <laughs> wow, yeah. I know. I know for a fact that my copy of melee well my save of melee has about like 250 hours logged into it just that one and that was not the one that we played the most on yeah it was definitely sean's we played the most on. we played a fair amount in my at my house i definitely yeah so, somewhere somewhere in, in my house is uh is that memory card is still we oh yeah <laughs> crack it open and see what's I, on there. I gave away my gamecube 
to uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours, and but I kept my memory card that had my melee save on it nice. because like that that's about sentimental value. Despite the fact that I got rid of my copy of melee, <laughs> I, I, some, somebody You've knew, got the data. Somebody knew wanted to was gonna like buy it at a game store. I'm just like I'm just gonna. Well, I, I'm pro. I'm just gonna give you mine. Whatever. Shit. Yeah. That's nice. I should, All right. <laughs> I should uh, I should have gotten him to pay me for it though because copies copies of melee are going for a pretty penny these days. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. So I'll just uh, save it. Uh, I also chose Super Smash Bros. Brawl. I ranked it at number six. So. That's a point of contention already. I, I don't know what else you put on that list better than Brawl. Fucking great game. Um, but yeah, uh, I actually say... I'm going to focus on a little bit of a different different topic on, on that, which is the music in, mm-hmm. in Brawl. And um, especially maybe for the younger gamers in the audience, um, you know, you, you may not realize, like, even in Smash Ultimate, a lot of the music in the Smash Bros. newer games um, is actually still from Brawl. Yeah, and a lot of the best stuff, too. A lot of the best stuff, yeah. Uh, at the time it came out, it was it was just incredible. I mean, no, no game studio had released a, what was essentially, like, I, like I, I would have just paid money for the album alone. Uh, because it was basically compilations of remixes of the greatest hits of the entire Nintendo catalog. Yeah. Like, the best, like, the fan favorites, like, the best songs of their whole back catalog from uh, the NES to the GameCube basically got remixes. And that was absolutely incredible, and it's still incredible. It's so incredible that it still makes up a huge chunk of the content, the musical content of even the latest Smash Brothers game. Yeah. And the music still... Sometimes I just put on uh, music from Brawl because it's amazing. It's very well done. Uh, and then also uh, the best Final Smash in the series, Luigi's Negative Zone only exists in brawl and that that is that makes mm. it clearly the best version yeah as a, as a luigi man that's, that's a good point and on your yeah. on your point about the music though like they didn't have to do that because if you remember melee they had like one track yeah, per me- stage with a few stages having alternate tracks and then yeah brawl comes out and they even gave you a menu that you could go into to adjust the play rate of each individual song for each individual stage, and each stage had like you know six plus tracks associated with it. Yeah, it's insane. yeah, totally groundbreaking. Even today, I mean, I, I think of fighting games in general, and I can't think of any other fighting game that has like the sort of like musical selection that Brawl does. No, I I can't think of one either. Yeah, fighting games have some really kick ass music. They have great music, but it's generally like one, maybe two per stage. Or a lot of the times it's one per character. Yeah, or or one or yeah, per character, character themes. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I'm sure there's a lot more we could say about Smash Bros, but uh, I think we'll move on, and I'll, I'll move us up to the next uh, spot on the list. So um, my uh, number fifteen game on my list, uh, actually Metroid Prime. 
So, uh, Metroid Prime, I I think it really just, uh, and I'm talking about the first one specifically. Like the first Metroid Prime is is in my opinion the best Metroid Prime game. Uh, some of the technical improvements in like two were nice and, and stuff like that. Um, some of the other ones like three and Hunters I didn't really like because they really messed up the sort of formula of a Metroid game, which one nailed, which is you are a bounty hunter alone on an unexplored planet. Or, mm-hmm. or on, on yeah, a planet yeah. you haven't explored. And it, it, Metroid Prime just absolutely nailed it. Like, here's Nintendo coming in with, like, a cutting-edge shooter. Uh, you know, great UI. Absolutely like gorgeous for the time gorgeous graphics and those graphics still hold up because they they have character yeah. and they have atmosphere the art design is so strong the art design in metroid prime is incredible uh and i think the first metroid prime in particular had the strongest art direction of them all and everything about it like like, like the music especially oh. too the music in metroid prime like you know fendrana drifts has this like haunting just we obviously can't put yeah. the actual track in because of copyright reasons but it's incredible and you have these like you know these soft melodies these stronger melodies in um in other parts of the game and the music really supports the atmosphere as well in, in having this just haunting like this haunting loneliness uh and that to me in addition to like the good controls and um you know great kind of like transition to a 3d metroidvania kind of like exploration backtracking style of game uh they they absolutely nailed it and it's one of my it's it's really like in terms of a single player shooter experience i think it's one of the best ever Mm mm-hmm yeah, Nintendo Nintendo did a very they have a very good track record of changing their 2D franchises to 3D. I can't think of one that was that like failed. Yeah, no, they 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 did a great job with all of them. Mm-hmm. That I Yeah. Can't think of any that went from 2D to 3D poorly. I mean, I haven't played the N64 Pilot Wings game, but that's the only one that I have a question mark on. Well, N64 Pilot Wings uh did not make my list. <laughs> uh, N64 Pilot Wings was weird, honestly. Uh, you know what? That's not even a good example because the Super Nintendo version of Pilot Wings was pretty much 3D anyways. <laughs> not 3D gra- graphically, but movement-wise. You're moving in all three dimensions. Mostly due to gravity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could say more about it, but I think we want to keep going. Mm-hmm. Alright, back to me? Okay. So, my number 14 is Warcraft 3 The Frozen Throne. Now, I feel like a lot of people have their, like, one go-to RTS. For some people, it's one of the Command and Conquerors. For some people, it's Starcraft. Some people, it's Age of Empire. For me, it was Warcraft 3. Now, I've probably, in terms of individual game, like... If we look at series, like, yeah, Smash is probably the series I put the most time into. But in terms of an individual game, Warcraft 3 has to be up there. 
Because I did everything in that game. I played through all the campaigns. I played a ton of skirmish matches against AI. I played a ton online, both custom maps and even, like, a little bit competitively because they had weekly tournaments that I always entered and did shitty at because I don't know how to micro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, just, like, everything in that game was just so cool to me. Like, all the the four different uh, races just felt so different and cool. So many of them had a ton of different directions you could go with, like, how you wanted to compose your army. Whether you wanted to go, like, fast rush with your cheap units, or you wanted to get these units that had a ton of abilities. The hero units that you leveled up during the game and got loot for from, like, neutral monsters. Like, so many, so many cool ideas in that game. And one of the, uh, other things, this game isn't going to be on my list, uh, but it was my introduction to Dota and uh, MOBAs in general. And I know I'll never ever be able to get you two to play MOBAs with me, and that's fine, <laughs> but I sunk so many hours into original Dota for Warcraft 3. Yeah. Ugh, so many goddamn hours. I've been, like, played it a couple times at uh, this, uh, Internet cafe in Richmond oh, called Rush yeah, Arcade. Rush Arcade. Yeah. Okay. Some good fucking memories there. We might have to do an entire that's episode on Rush Arcade. Probably the only. Pl- that's <laughs> probably like. What, that's probably the only place Arcade. I have played Dota. <laughs> yeah, and, and like that. That concept, like the MOBA concept, is really cool, and it's even more amazing that it came from a custom map, like essentially a mod of this just like RTS game. I think it only could have come from an RTS like Warcraft though because it's it's honestly such a weird concept mm-hmm. like the MOBA kind of genre. Yeah. And yeah. I think the only reason that it happened was because Warcraft 3 obviously you have this combination of standard units and hero units and it was that sort of that was directly I think like the inspiration. You wouldn't you wouldn't get Dota out of like a custom StarCraft map. People made tons of weird custom StarCraft maps. Oh yeah. Lots of them were really fun and and strange and cool, but uh nothing like Dota. Very yeah. little. Th- there were some StarCraft maps that had like weird level up mechanics where you would get certain amount you get certain resources yeah. for doing certain things yeah, and but then if you got enough of them you m- could level up. The StarCraft maps that were like that, I would say were more like a dungeon crawler yeah. in-, in style than like Dota though. Mm-hmm. There was nothing with this sort of overarching like team versus team mob and like level up dynamic with heroes like that that's something yeah. that it was it was really it was really the introduction to hero units into that RTS that probably sparked the idea for the thing in general. 100%. Yeah. All right. Uh so next on my list, uh so we are still on the S tier and so the next S tier is uh Command and Conquer Red Alert 2. Oh yes. Absolutely. Oh and man, here we go again. More du- RTS. More duplicates. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh you got you got this on your list. I also, I also <laughs> put Red Alert 2 on mine. <laughs> See, I told you everybody's okay. got their one RTS okay. that they love. Hold on, hold on. Okay, Sean. Yes. Allied disc or Soviet disc? 
Soviet disc comrade. You Wrong. fucking communist! <laughs> Wrong. Yuri's revenge. Ooh. Oh, yes. Ultimately, th- th- thinking about the expansion uh, is its own separate thing, but at the same time, I would include it uh, with that game. Uh, the it's Red an Red expansion, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It counts. And so, um, what I would say is that with, uh, with Command & Conquer Red Alert 2... Uh, it was it was the peak of of Westwood uh, at its most uh, at the deepest into its craft. It had uh, the zany cutscenes. It had uh, the memorable characters. <laughs> it had you know uh, it had an incredible formula where the back and forth, uh, especially so when you're playing online with other characters, you're picking a faction, um, and those factions had unique units. And often the way that you could uh, exploit or win with those uh, unique units often crafted uh, your entire strategy. For example, France with their grand cannons, which are these giant defensive uh, uh, behemoths that uh, um, they're very deadly when they're next to an enemy base. Uh, they will absolutely wreak havoc. And, uh, or, for example, in on the Soviet side, you'd have the Iraqi Desolators uh, or... Uh, one of my favorites, the uh, Libyan bomb trucks. Uh, and uh, so yeah. there were certain strategies that uh, really required um, a lot of uh, a lot of skill to be able to deter. For example, the super weapons um, played huge into the strategy. There was something that could make uh, a area of your uh, an encompassing area and any units within it invulnerable. Uh, wow. For a period of time, and yeah. so you could sneak these bomb trucks. You could actually uh, preload them with uh, with timed explosives, and then load them all up into a landing craft, and then uh, invincibly park this landing craft in the middle of your enemy's base. Deploy them all, and just watch as the entire ex- screen explodes, and your enemies instantly yeah. extinguished. Is that the Iron Curtain? Yes, the Iron oh, Curtain. I that there's actually a like almost similar strategy that you could do in Warcraft 3, where you could, (laughs) you could, with the humans, you could make one of your units invisible with the sorceress, send them back into the back of the enemy's base by the resource line, and then if you had an Archmage hero at level 6, it had, its ultimate ability was mass teleport. (laughs) So you could just teleport, like, an army into your enemy's base and just completely destroy the resource gathering and then like hike it out. <laughs> I think one of my one of my favorite strategies in multiplayer, uh, I really liked the prison tank. Oh, the prison tank is so cool. The, yeah, yes. prison tank's so cool. But in particular, I would always make sure when I was using my prison tanks that I would I would so there was also like a minor progression system where every unit can become, like, veteran and elite. Yeah. And I'd always make sure to pull out the veteran and elite prism tanks. And eventually, if you get... You can make, like, a little, like, 3 by 3 Because it's somewhat grid-based, and so you can kind of, like, get a little just block of 9 by... Uh, uh, 3 by 3 9 prism tanks. And if you get... If you get 9 prism tanks in a 3 by 3 square, it... Like, they get increased range... <laughs> when they uh, level up, like not all, I can't remember if that applies to all units. But with the prism tanks, they get increased range and damage as they and level speed and speed because they're a bit <laughs> slow. And so if you get a you, you get a bunch of these elite prism tanks, you just cluster them, and it just wrecks. Especially if you have some uh, some fodder around them, 
protecting them, it uh, it was my favorite. It was my favorite way to like just like kind of slow, especially in a game that's dragging out because the prison tank is a bit of a higher range unit. I do remember High, this. higher cost unit. Yeah. Um, so my favorite allied strategy uh, relied on the the hinge unit of the spy. So the spy can disguise himself as any uh, any other infantry, including the enemies. And they might think that uh, your spy is actually one of their units. And so, uh, as an allied player, I'd uh, always be gunning to try and jam one of my uh, spies into a n- into another allied player's uh, uh, battle lab, which is a structure, uh, an advanced uh, structure. And when I did that, I would receive the Chrono Commando. Now this guy is lethal because uh, with one with w- with one attack he instantly destroys any building, and he also has a teleporter pack, and so he can jump all over the map and uh, rip through an enemy's base faster than their defenses can respond. Yeah, yeah. So Red Alert Two had a great multiplayer, super fun. It oh, wasn't yeah. always very balanced. Um, but it was <laughs> it was the most it was easily one of the most fun uh, multiplayer RTSs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the single player was great too, with the yeah. uh, the, the great cutscenes, cut absolutely hilarious cutscenes, um, and like they hammed it up so much yeah. with those. Uh, and then also just like a lot of the units were just cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got like prism tanks that like you know shoot lasers and Tesla stuff. cannons, Tesla cannons, like oh, crazy yeah. radiation weapons, like psychic mind control stuff with Yuri's Revenge, um, and uh, of course the best unit in the game, uh, the Dolphin. <laughs> to counter the giant squid. Oh uh, yes, squid. Squid versus dolphin. You know, Soviet squid Jesus. versus Allied dolphin. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, good times. Yeah, and uh, the community was really long lasting. Long after I started playing competitive, did I realize that uh, you could use a trick of the game, uh, a glitch, in order to put your spy into your own allied uh, battle lab, and by doing that, you could unlock the Chrono Commando for yourself. It was uh, quite the interesting experience. Unfortunately, by that time, we, all we were playing was Yuri's Revenge, and it mm. only worked in uh, Red Alert 2. Ah. <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah. Or maybe not. I can't tell. <laughs> it, it was good they fixed that. It would have been very imbalanced. There would have been Chrono Commandos flying around everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Lethal Armada... So, uh, Alex? Yeah, so uh, my uh, number 14 position is uh, kind of a bit bit of two games, sort of, but Roller Coaster Tycoon and Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Oh, fuck yes. As well as the expansions. (laughs) And in particular, the reason I kind of count that as one game is that it actually lets you, like, switch between them like the first game and second game, I believe. I believe that was a... I can't remember if that was in the original game. I don't think it was. It is, however, in the open source uh, yeah. remake. Or not... Uh, actually, yeah, they basically remade the game engine in an open source thing because people are crazy. Yeah, including the person that made Roller Coaster Tycoon in the first place. Sid Meier. No. No? No, I don't think so. Ah, uh, crap. I forget the person's name, but they they coded pretty much everything by themselves, mostly in assembly. Yeah, that's... Just wh- because, like, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you think about how old that game is and what it's doing, like, it's simulating, like, over a thousand park members, each with a bunch of different, like, 
information about themselves and stats that change constantly. As well as a whole bunch of... Chris Sawyer. Uh, as well as a whole bunch of, like, you know, physics simulations. Yeah, and the rides. For all the rides. Yeah. Like, like, like... A true accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, that game blew me away at the time, because it legitimately, technically, was very advanced for the time. But also, it's just the best park man. It's 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 not just the best park management sim. It's basically the best business simulator type game. I think. Uh, I think it still holds up. I do not like the newer roller coaster tycoon games. I they just they don't feel right to me. Uh, yeah. And the other thing is like the graphics aren't even that bad. Like the, the graphics are like the graphics really good. still look good. <laughs> um, they hold up. Yeah, like, they hold up surprisingly well, considering how old the game is. You know what made that game so great? He had a hobby riding roller coasters. He rode over 600 roller coasters in oh, his gee. lifetime. Uh, who, who is this again? <laughs> Chris Sawyer. Chris, oh, Chris Sawyer. Right, right. That, that's I remember the name now. Um, but yeah, Roller Coaster Tycoon is just... It's a solid game. It's got, uh, it's got interesting campaigns. Uh, mm. the, the campaign's kind of interesting. Uh, you get like different challenges, and that really helps a lot. Um, there, there's, there's, you have it being forced around the like constraints of the land. I, I definitely think helps. Yeah, but also, like, like landscaping was so expensive. Yeah, like, landscaping was so expensive. And you, and you always started like a lot of map. You started with a loan, <laughs> so you had to, so you had to like dig yourself out of that. Yeah, even the starting map, you had like a ten thousand dollar loan or whatever. Yeah, yes, yeah. Right away, it throws you into it. It's like manage your park as a business, and. Uh, but also, it's just, it's really cool. Like, you get to design your own roller coasters. That concept, like, has not gone out of style. And I, I just, uh, especially the uh, open source, like, open art roller coaster yeah. tycoon 2, like, it pretty much fixes what few flaws the game had and basically makes it the, it, like, it was already the best. <laughs> uh, and then. And then they added multiplayer. And then fa- oh, yeah, and fans, <laughs> fans fixed it up. And added multiplayer because, why not? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, to me, they made a game so good that what twenty, thirty years later, uh, how, when was this game published originally? Late nineties, probably. Yeah, yeah, late nineties. Um, so like twenty years. So it's like twenty years old, and the fans are still out there, like remaking the game engine and adding new features like that's the kind of staying power that you get from a game that's so tightly developed and mm-hmm. so well made uh that it, it's just uh, it's a classic yeah. i i wonder too um if it was like the first game that was like blank tycoon because there have been a ton of other like big business tycoon game dev tycoon all these other like Tycoon, hospital tycoon. Well, maybe maybe it wasn't called hospital tycoon, but a, a bunch of other games like blank tycoon. And I I have a feeling that roller coaster tycoon probably could have spawned all those, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I do believe that the the I think most of the original tycoon games were all by the same developer. Which, if memory serves, uh, Oh, they they went out of business years ago. I can't, uh, infograms. In, 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 in info. Wait. In, info. Infograms. Infograms. Whatever. However in, you want in, to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah. Info. In, info. In, infogram. Fuck. I can't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they, I they had weird stuff. I remember I got like this weird pack of games from them. 
mm-hmm. it was like a bunch of old games. A lot of them, honestly, did not <laughs> were bad. Didn't hold up. Roller coaster tycoon. Roller took coaster tycoon though, holds up. Yeah. And two is basically the best. But nowadays, uh, the open source mod is uh, the definitive version. Yeah. That's a solid pick. Oh yeah. yeah. Might put that there. Okay. So my number uh, thirteen uh, is going to be Ogre Battle: March of the Black Queen. This is a game title that is a combination of two different Queen songs, <laughs> because Japanese people love Queen, and Who so does and, and, so, and so do we. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I've heard people not like them because they're like they're a bit too corny at times, which they are. Yeah. Like, okay, listen to Bohemian Rhapsody and forget that is one of the greatest songs of all time. It's a, it's a weird song. It's a very weird song. It's a very weird, like... I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how legit this is, but uh, I know the, the Queen uh, sort of biopic movie they made. Uh, yeah. Uh, has some scenes where they're talking about the publisher and the publisher... Is like, what the hell is this Bohemian Rhapsody sh- shit? <laughs> like, you want me to publish this? This isn't a hit. You know this other song? I'm in love with my car. That's a hit. Well, I may be wrong on this, but I think Bohemian Rhapsody might not have actually been a hit when it was first released. I thought it was Wayne's I, World that, <laughs> that made what? it a hit. I thought it was. Well, whatever. That's something to look up later. We, we got games to talk about. Speaking of which, it's Ogre Battle, games, not March music. of the Black Queen. We'll start a music podcast some other time. <laughs> but, so this, this is a game that, um, it's, it's a bit more obscure. It's on the Super Nintendo. And Ogre Battle is part of, I believe, a, like, a nine-part or thirteen-part series, of which only four or five got made. And this game... If there was one game that I want a spiritual successor to more than anything, it is this game. Because Ogre Battle, uh, there's two different, like, quote-unquote types of Ogre Battle games. There's there's the Tactics Ogre ones, which are, you know, like, tactical RPGs in the vein of, like, Final Fantasy Tactics or anything like that. But the mainline Ogre Battle games are these weird combinations of a... JRPG RTS. So that's a lot of that's a lot of acronym right there. But you take you have this big army of all these different individual units that you form into squads of three to five units, depending. And you've got like you know knights, ninjas, all these different classes of humans, as well as, as well as monsters. So you can put like a Cerberus and a Griffin into your party. And the cool thing about that is different types of units. Give you different movement opportunities. So, like, you could have a griffin and a couple of knights in a party, and they would be able to fly. So they'd be able to move around the area super fast and go over uh, water super quickly. And so there was a there was a great diversity on what units you could use. And there was also, like, you had to go around these maps, take over towns, and try and beat the boss. You know, just a linear or somewhat non-linear progression of maps. And it's it's just such a cool concept that I haven't seen 
really realize anywhere else. And how the battles take place is that each individual unit has a number of attacks they'll do in the battle, and then the battle will end, and it'll say who the winner was, and the winner, the loser gets, like, pushed back, like, a decent amount, so you can continuously, like, push your opponents off of towns that they might be sitting at. There's a variety of, like, equipment and items you can get. There's a big focus on, like, the tarot, tarot cards that have these, like, wild effects in battle. And, like, 12 different endings on this freaking Super Nintendo game. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, it's just, it's such a cool-ass game that I, I, I want some kind of proper proper sequel to one of these days but that that requires squaring is getting off their ass <laughs> getting that, off the giant pile of money yeah they square Enix needs to stop blaming all their western published games for sinking them as a company and start putting out niche games that only i will buy and will still probably sink them as a company <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah there, there's gonna be a lot of japanese developed games on my list just, just putting that out there right now Speaking of a uh, Japanese-developed game, Guns, the Duel. Oh, that might be Korean. I think you know what? I could be wrong there. It might be a lot. A lot of that, like I have... a lot of early online stuff like that. All right, was well, I will. I will clarify it for us. Yes. But oh my yeah, god! So oh, guns, fucking Guns, guns the, the Duel. duel. Yeah. Now there. That, you are correct. My South God. Korean by Mate Entertainment. If that game was made today, I guarantee it would have just loot boxes up the ass. Oh, dude. The Koreans were on that shit early. And it had there, that, there's yeah. even a. I mean, I, I, know, you, studio, I, I but, know you could spend real money to, like, I think, do something with the game, but I can't remember what. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, but there was, I forget which Korean studio, but there was a Korean studio who had been making these, like, online games forever that once microtransactions started to become a problem, they were like, yeah, we know. We've been doing this shit for years. You're oversaturating the market and you're going to ruin everything. You've goddamn mobile developers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, guns the motherfucking duel. What a game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, just the, the whole... Uh, archetype with the different weapons that you could choose. You could mm-hmm. have the dagger, and then your playstyle would be completely different than someone with a sword, which would be completely some different than someone running around with a pistol. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was definitely. Um, it felt a little bit like the Matrix at times, especially oh, yeah. with all the glitches that were accepted as canon, and this is how we're going to need to need to play. So there'd be uh, you know people dashing through the air with their knife and they've managed to get some sort of elevation and they can just literally hover in the air like a wizard flying around with their death stick pointing outwards yeah. and it was great it there's, was... there's almost something like fighting game-esque about that because yes. like how combos in fighting games originally was like a glitch and how like wave dashing in melee or whatever like some of that stuff wasn't oh, yeah. wasn't intended at all but just like through how the physics worked in the game. You got these, like, crazy mobility options that you could do. And guns, like, the mobility stuff in guns was excellent. Like, running on walls, backflips, yeah, and shit. Yeah, it was excellent. Even for the time. I mean... It was it was completely it, new at the time. It, it was totally new at the time. I, c- yeah. I can't think of anything that's 
come close to that for I mean, a, if, for a while after that until you get to. I think you'd have to go as far as to like Titanfall or something to get something that I think felt feels as smooth now as I think Guns did back then. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played it in so long. I mean, maybe it was super clunky, but uh, or maybe it would feel clunky now. But I mean, it's it's almost like it actually reminds me of uh, like Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time, mm, but with yeah. guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that. By the way, Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time is an honorable mention. That, Very much so. Uh, I sadly could not put on my list. Wait, this list isn't quite right. Let me back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Wait, hold on. Sorry, use the sense of time. It's on the list now. <laughs> there we go. What a mistake. <laughs> Who's next? Uh, oh, probably me. Yeah, so my 13th pick here is uh, Mario Galaxy 2. And mm. Mario Galaxy 2, I, I think, is just... It's pretty much the most... It's pretty much the most solid 3D, uh, like, single-player platforming game, I, I think, ever made. Yeah. Uh, even, even now, I mean, Odyssey's good. I actually haven't really played it that much, to be honest. Um, but even from what I've seen, like Mario Galaxy Two is just like it's it's incredible. Uh, it's not that old, and so the graphics still hold up, especially if you're using an emulator. Uh, Dolphin does some good shit. Uh, yeah, they did, good, they did good work on that emulator. Yeah, but I was I was tempted to put Mario sixty four on this list because uh, I love Mario sixty four, and obviously it's on so many of these lists. Because it is incredible and it was revolutionary, but honestly, Mario Galaxy Two is a better game. Uh, they've th- like like I've gone back and played Mario sixty four and I still love it, but that camera is frustrating as hell sometimes. <laughs> the controls are still tight, uh, but the camera issue in Mario sixty four is uh, certainly frustrating sometimes, and uh, also in Mario Galaxy Two you can ride Yoshi. That's, that just seals the deal that right just, there. Yeah. He's not waiting on top of a castle for you to get 120 stars. He's just available. He's just available. Yeah. 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 So, that's my uh, 13th pick, uh, Mario Galaxy 2. Awesome. O- over, over Mario Galaxy 1. So, the main thing between 2 and 1, to me, is that I think 2... Uh, actually, uh, just had slightly better level design. Okay. Uh, they had sort of refined a few things from the first one, and the first game, the first game in particular, there were there were some levels where they just sort of like you could tell they were they were sort of phoning it in, and and also like some of the levels were just weird. Um, they really focused heavily in some levels on the, this like uh, pointing mechanic. And I thought those levels were actually probably a bit of a weak point in uh, yeah. the first Mario Galaxy. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember them really having nearly as many or in the same way as they did in Mario Galaxy 2. Like, Mario Galaxy 2, pretty much the whole game was just really good. Pretty much every level was great. Uh, and it was paced a bit better, I think, as well. Mm. Uh 
than than Mario Galaxy One. Although, again, some of the music in Mario Galaxy One also just absolute bangers. But I feel like you can say that about basically every Mario game. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Now speaking of amazing music, my number twelve is Theat Rhythm Final Fantasy Curtain Call. This is the Final Fantasy rhythm game, or should I say, the sequel to the Final Fantasy rhythm game that was released on DS. Or 3DS, sorry. Now, I am a huge Final Fantasy fan, despite the fact that I think a lot of the games are actually not good. But one thing that I can unequivocally say about them is that they have some of the best music in any game series. Ever. And so, making a rhythm game around this, like, I also like rhythm games a hell of a lot too, so you already hooked me with this thing. So... But what makes this so interesting and cool is that, well, it's a 3DS game, so it uses a touchscreen. And that can be, like, a little bit, you know, janky at times, but it, it works it works well enough for what you're doing. But the structure of the game is that you, you build a party of these different Final Fantasy characters, and they all have different abilities and stuff that impact how you, like, play this rhythm game where... You can have, like, okay, you've got all these characters that do magic damage or physical damage and buffs and debuffs and healing and stuff. So your ability to last through a difficult song is actually based on how much, like, how survivable your party is. Huh. So it's not, it's not like, oh, you fail, you miss these main notes, you fail. It's just like, you know, you can make a party where you essentially have no fail on <laughs> just because you can heal so rapidly. And the more damage you do to the monsters that show up while you're playing the playing the songs, you get more items and uh, at the end of it to and like different collectibles and it's just like it's it's a complete fan service game for Final <laughs> Fantasy basically and that, that 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 that's exactly what I wanted like that and that and a amazing just like collection of Final Fantasy music to to play through just. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you hear that, Nintendo? With the best music library? Make a rhythm game! <laughs> Mario DDR, come on! Mar- Wait, I don't think... That, that happened. That Did that happen? That did happen. <laughs> uh, oh, and the credit song to Theater Rhythm is a ska medley. Nice. Of Final Fantasy music. Just, like, absolutely incredible. Can't say enough good things about it. Alright, I've been mulling over which to do next on my list, and I would say for this next S-tier game would be Chrono Trigger. Wow, awesome. I wasn't expecting you to put that one on. (laughs) My goodness. I've never felt such powerful emotions when playing a game, Chrono Trigger. And the... the, uh, it was interesting because I didn't actually play it um, when it first came out. I actually mm-hmm. visited it uh, for the first time, actually pretty recently. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that game... Every every character's story, just the whole overarching journey, the fact that you can keep on going deeper and deeper past what you know the, the ending that you encountered the first time... Uh, my goodness... I've gotten so lost in that game and and uh, and the story that it told. It just it's one of those games that that uh, I will never forget. Yeah, it's truly timeless. Like like you said, like you came to it 
a lot later. Like I also didn't play it when it first came out, but it also completely captivated me. Like it's not it's not on my list, but I it's incredible. I think it's yeah, I didn't I didn't put it on my list either, but it's it's up there. It's definitely one of the best RPGs. Yeah. Like I I if I had to try to like think objectively about JRPGs, I'd probably put it at number 1. It's just every piece of it is absolutely masterclass. And it does a lot of things that I've still ne- never played a JRPG that has done so many things as right as this game does them. Yeah. And and again, speaking of great music, bangers. Absolutely. All killer, no filler in that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, I remember the music actually was the thing that like kind of hooked to me the most into Chrono mm-hmm. Trigger, as well as just the sprite art in general. Um, I think a lot of late SNES, because I think it was like a late SNES game. It was very late. Yeah. And the thing about late SNES era games is that... Uh, developers had pretty much learned how to push 2d uh, 2d sprite graphics basically to the limit um not of the hardware but like even of design uh yeah mostly yeah yeah, for the most part but i mean like you still still didn't really get like pixel lighting yeah yeah like there's lighting on on that stuff there's some newer yeah there's some newer stuff like pixel lighting or like maybe people might even drop like i've seen particle effects in sprite games these days yeah. But in general, the pixel like the pixel art aesthetic, like Chrono Trigger was like that era. It was pretty much close to like the yeah. limit of the aesthetic, and uh, it absolutely killed it in the art department. Uh, like the sprite work in Chrono Trigger is probably it. I'd say it probably has some of the best sprites, like at yeah. at all. A ton of person personality, yeah, with them as well. Well, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, it's all it's all in the like the art uh the art direction which was so strong yeah like and so the the people that made that game were collectively known as the dream team where it was people from square who made final fantasy and people from enix who made the dragon uh dragon warrior games dragon quest games before they merged for real uh like they made they made that game and they got akira toriyama who did like dragon ball and some other anime to do the character designs for it. So you just had all this talent coalescing on this one game. And, yeah. It, it shows. <laughs> yeah. So, Alright, we kind of took over the conversation there. That's okay. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, Sean. You, you really want to put it up. Uh. <laughs> and, and, anything else to say about Chrono Trigger? You know what? I think we've covered it. We're good. Go on, Alex. Alright. Uh, so, my number 12 game is Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> oh my god. So, oh, so, I see, so, I see we're uh, including unreleased games on our lists. That's right. We're, 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 uh, we're including games that are uh, still in uh, public alpha. <laughs> uh, not, have they still not reached beta? I don't... Honestly, I don't know. They might be calling it a beta by now. I don't know. I, I don't know, and it honestly does not matter. Yeah. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, Dwarf Fortress is the most ambitious game ever planned. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, uh, it, it, essentially, it, 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 it tries to be... 
a full-fledged fantasy world simulator. Uh, and its goal is to simulate an entire fantasy world and then let you manage, uh, uh, start and manage a fortress of dwarves in this fantasy setting. Yeah. And, um, we're not, and we're not talking like Sim City, where you got like your one plot line, there might, and there's like the couple your neighbors that might have a small impact on what you're doing. No, we're talking about an entire goddamn world. Yeah. No. When, I, when yeah, when, when we say like an entire world, we mean to the point where. Uh, it, it has the most, as far as I know, it has the most advanced, like, just simulation. Maybe not the most advanced, like, in in specific details, but the most comprehensive, I would say, simulation of a world. Um, like, we're talking, it simulate uh, before you even start, it simulates an actual fantasy history, uh, including, like, world events. Now, yeah. by at this point, last time I checked in on the game, because the game is still undergoing ongoing development. Uh, and uh, last time I checked in, like they had actually added a lot uh, in terms of history simulation, uh, where there's actual entire civilizations that like and, and histories and heroes with epic battles and and stuff, and that all gets simulated, um, and then can potentially even affect uh, uh, what's in the world because you might like you they haven't. I can't remember if they got to this point, but the goal is to eventually, like, literally be even, even be able to start wars, because you can, like, take over a civ- whole civilization. Yeah. Um, but, you know, while we're talking, like, oh, yeah, the game's gonna have you, like, potentially in charge of, like, a whole civilization of, like, fucking dwarves that's going to war with the elves. Also, it goes down and simulates water movement, and uh, you can, like, build mechanisms like at like to the point where like uh, people have built computers in Dwarf Fortress, um, kind of like how they've built them in Minecraft. Um, in fact, in in some ways, the simulation is actually uh, uh, similar to Minecraft in that it it's essentially voxel based, although the uh, it has absolutely no graphics to speak of, really. ASCII baby. Uh, yeah, the base game is an ASCII. Uh, Though I would recommend playing with a, a graphical tile set, which yep. yeah, there actually there are some very good ones out there. There are some very good ones. There's also plans to release a graphical tile set version on Steam, although I don't believe it's been released yet. Um. And anyway, so yeah, the simulation is incredible. It also simulates individual dwarves, um, and you know you get to watch the dwarves go about their business and do what you've told them to do. Um, but, like, when it simulates individual dwarves, what I mean is, like, oh, it simulates relationships um, between the dwarves. It simulate like, combat. Combat is resolved Holy by shit. simulating organ damage. Uh, yeah, you can individual finger breaking and, and just, like... Every single bone, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. like bone, muscle, and, like, physical organs... And blood loss. Yeah. Like, these are all simulated for the combat and, system. It's insane. For for your dwarves, as well as the variety of monsters in the game, which all can have, like, you know, different unique attacks where, you know, something might bite you, and that is simulated in a completely different way than a sword slash. Yeah. Where yeah. They, they might latch onto you and continue to do damage over time and stuff. It's completely insane. Yeah. Um, and then... In terms of... Uh, some of these details aren't necessarily completely obvious to the player. The things that are obvious is it's sort of a top-down view of your uh, sort of 
uh, area that you've embarked into your fortress. Uh, I'm mostly talking about fortress mode. There's also an adventure mode, which uh, I basically didn't even play because I I spent probably I spent hundreds of hours in that game, and uh, uh, I can't even like begin to talk about the adventure mode because it's it's a different game. Yeah, it's like an entirely separate game, basically. And the the amazing thing about adventure mode is that. You can you can do an adventure in the same world that you spawned and simulated for your fortress, and you can even like go and and search your your fortress that you made in fortress mode. It is there in adventure mode. Yeah, and you can go around and you can look at all like the engravings that you might have made of the of the world events that happened for your individual fortress and shit. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's a really cool game. It's it's I I think it's it's one of the most interesting uh, simulation games ever made. If only because it's so in-depth that you get just these incredibly... You get these incredibly interesting, unpredictable kind of events that happen because so much stuff um, is simulated and you get these sort of emergent events. Yeah, it's Uh, one of the best games for creating... for creating just, like, player stories. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That said... Uh, it is the most challenge. I think it's it's the most challenging game to learn. Uh, I think I've ever played. Yeah, it's... Uh, by far. It has a terrible. It has a terrible, actively hostile user interface. <laughs> uh, I'm not joking. It's it's. You'll see what I mean yeah. if you look at even with a tile set. It's still. Um, uh, there was a really good tutorial on how to learn the basics of interacting with the interface uh, on YouTube. I think by a, cap- a guy named Captain Duck, um, <laughs> which was about 50 hours to watch. And if you're following along trying to start a fortress, you'll probably spend 100 hours yeah. just to learn the interface. Um, yeah. You like most mu- movement? No. Too bad. <laughs> yeah. This is a game. This is a game where fans build memory scraping Excel spreadsheet tools to speed up their play. <laughs> Like, I'm not joking. It's ridiculous. Um, it's cool. It's one of the most interesting games ever. I definitely recommend you check out uh, some of the many Dwarf Fortress stories online, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, elephant Murder is a classic. Boat Murder. Uh, oh, Boat Murder. <laughs> there was a lot of Elephant Murder in Boat Murder. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Boat Murder. Yeah, Boat Murder is a classic. Uh, there's also some really good comics people have made about yeah. Dwarf Fortress. Like, I'll, I'll give you, like, a, a little, a, a small story uh, from one of the fortresses I made, where... Embarked on. I, I spent all this time set selecting what I'm going to embark with, what skills all my individual dwarves are going to have, and there's like even when you first embark, there's like thousands of options of what you can bring with you. And so I embark, and what's right next to my my wagon when I embark is a goddamn bear. <laughs> and so immediately the bear kills one of my dwarves, which is a huge blow at the very start. It killed one of my miners. Ooh. Luckily, I had two, but then, like, an- another just, like, crafts dwarf said, like, nah, son, killed the fucking thing, wrestled it to death, and then was il- immediately elected mayor. <laughs> uh, yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Oh, another example of, like, the uh, uh, ridiculousness of the combat system. I-, I-, I once had a fortress where a uh, uh, one of my one of my soldiers, you know, kind of defenders of the fortress... Um, uh, was a female dwarf and she had recently given birth and was holding her child and unfortunately 
um, she was sent into battle. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she was fighting with, I think, some goblins or trolls or something uh, and, and lost her weapon. And having lost her weapon, she then decided to use her baby as a flail <laughs> to attack the enemies. Uh, and killed killed the enemies. Um, I, I if I remember, I can't remember. I think the baby also died though, and then she was very sad. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what even is this? Um, it's it's a game that doesn't pull punches in that respect. Um, also, I think it might have been a bug, but like, why would she do that? <laughs> Uh, a bit strange, but then one of the things about Dwarf Fortress is that uh, it's always had the most amazing bugs. Yeah, it's had the most amazing bugs ever. Dwarves are a very hardy race. <laughs> Probably thought the baby could take it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it can. Yeah, that's the stupid thing. Um, but yeah, and then uh, yeah, well, and it's really interesting too, though. You know, like simulating the uh, the whole relationship aspect too. There's a lot of games that have tried to copy Dwarf Fortress. Uh, some of them are more approachable. I, I think RimWorld is one that's kind of uh, mm-hmm. popular yeah. right now. It's like a sci-fi themed dwarf fortress that's much more approachable to people. Um, There's Space Station 13. <laughs> uh, I haven't played. I thought that was an RPG type game. Uh, I would say in many ways it is an accurate simulation of a spaceship. Okay. Anyway, yeah. yeah so yeah, that yeah. anyway, Dwarf Fortress is amazing. But yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap it up on Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. Move on a little bit. Before the whole podcast becomes Dwarf Fortress, Dwarf Fortress, Dwarf Fortress. This is now the Angry Dwarf Zone. Angry Dwarf Zone. Angry okay. Dwarf Zone. <laughs> Alright. My number 11 is a two-for-one special, because I'm including two games from the same series in it, in one convenient little package. And that's uh, 999, 9 Hours, 9 Person, 9 Doors, as well as Virtue's Last Reward. These are two, like, visual novel light adventure games that are part of a series called the Zero Escape series. I'm not including the third game, Zero Time Dilemma, on here um, for various reasons. I just think it's a bit of a weaker game. I didn't enjoy it as much. Uh, But these first two games are... They're two of the best examples of storytelling in games I've ever played. And now, obviously, that has some impact, some influence, or whatever, on them being uh, visual novels, primarily... Like, they're able to uh, tell the story with, you know, a bunch of text, and because that's all the game is, you're full story, you're full story at all, no, looking up lore entries on a terminal to get the full story. But what these games do incredibly well is that they're, the first game, you're encouraged to, you have to play through the game multiple times with a bunch of different branching paths based on these nine doors, and these nine characters that you're with, all with their own backstories and motivations, and, like, it's... They're all just, like, captured and found themselves in this place. They woke up on this ship, and they have no idea how they got there, so it's this mystery to find out, okay, what's going on? What happened to us? How are we going to get out of here? And there's moments of like incredible tension and dread the sound design in this game is amazing and some of the puzzles are are not not the greatest but i will say the the final puzzle in 999 is one of the most hilarious things i've ever seen 
I highly encourage people listening to find a copy of these games and play them, so I won't spoil them maybe in a future episode where we talk about, like, awesome game moments. I'll spoil it then, but it's just absolutely incredible. And Virtual's Last Reward, it takes... It's a lot of the same similar concepts as the first game, but instead of multiple endings, you have this giant branching timeline of all your different decisions that you make that you can jump to at any point. And so you, f- you find out individual bits of the story through one branch that you can take with you in your memory or like r- written down on a notepad to another branch. And so you're using this to kind of find out what's going on. Again, it's a similar setup where these nine people are in this place, they don't know how they got there, and they're just trying to find out what's up. And it actually uses the different branches, and the information you bring between those branches is an incredible, like, story hook that they have. And the stories in these games are also insane. Like, the first game has a gigantic um, uh, sidetrack about Ice Nine, so that's awesome. Uh, I love Ice Nine. <laughs> oh, yeah. All of these conspiracy theories, and, like, the second one has a lot to do with um, the Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat experiment. That's that's a huge theme in it. Uh, the theme of just, like, the quantum whatever. Uh, quantum not- whatever sounds about right. <laughs> I don't pretend to be an expert in science. In fact, I'm not. <laughs> um... But yeah, both of these games are just fa- absolutely fantastic. The f- I the first one's on uh, DS, the second one's on 3DS, and either PSP or Vita. There might be versions of them available on other platforms now because so many just like somewhat obscure Japanese games have been getting ported to PC lately that I wouldn't be surprised if they're there. But yeah, I would highly encourage everybody listening to this to go give give these games a look. And well, I will say one thing more thing about them though is that they are fairly dark, and there's a lot of murder in them. Sometimes pretty graphic murder. <laughs> so if they're not lighthearted romps, they're they're serious business. Oh yeah, it looks like it was released on Windows now. Nice, as well as PS4. Cool. That's for nine nine nine. If well, if one's there, I would assume all of them are because there's no point in having one without the rest. The story's connected th- between the three games in bonkers ways. Well, that's all I have to say about that, though. Alright. Uh, on the lines of, uh, of Alex's last dive into uh, the simulation with Dwarf Fortress, I'm going to talk about another simulation game, which you've actually heard me talk about before, and I'm going to put it in S tier, and that's Noita. And uh, so... If you're starting from the beginning of our uh, podcast series, then you'll have heard me talk a little bit about it. Uh, but to sum it up, Noita is a Finnish game, uh, and uh, so a lot of the enemies and uh, just descriptors of things may be uh, in Finnish. And if you're wondering why these enemies have such perplexing names, now you'll understand. Uh, but uh, so... Basically, this is a game in which uh, it is a simulated world made of pixels. And so sand behaves like sand, water behaves like water, uh, everything catches on fire, and you're probably going to die pretty soon. It is a roguelike. Your objective uh, is... It's quite interesting. Um, There's an ending that you can achieve, 
by completing the quest to slay a giant beast. Um, and then there's endings beyond that. Uh, in fact, because each world is procedurally generated, uh, at the boundaries of it, there's actually um, a impassable barrier, uh, or at least impassable unless you uh, design your escape. And if you design your escape, you can enter into parallel worlds. And these parallel worlds are almost like the upside down in Stranger Things. There's things that are not quite right about them, and you can explore uh, into the beyond. And it's basically the first time that you manage to beat the game will be a great accomplishment. And then when you realize how deep the game can go further beyond that, your mind just tends to start melting and bubbling, and uh, um, and you sink deeper into the simulation game. Uh, and what I will say is that the uh, it's this the controls are simple. The um, amount of skill you'll get to be able to survive long longer, uh, and your increase in uh, ability to judge risk is going to be the number one thing that gets you from floor to floor. Is the ability to know kind of when to call it and say, "I need to, I need to make a rush for this for safety," uh, because if you don't do that, uh, then the run is over and you've got to start again. So mm-hmm. that's uh, what I'll comment about that. Yeah, and this. Based on the just like high level of interactability with the world and your wands and how you play it, like this is also a game that's perfect for creating stories. It seems like every time I talk to you, Sean, you've had you've got another story about how annoyed to run just like went spectacularly well and then immediately wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, um, one of the funniest things uh, that I ever did was uh, so in this game. Um, the, the spells that you get are generally magical of one variety or another. And then, uh, and then there's some non-magical spells, things like missile or, uh, nuke. And so one time I was experimenting with the nuke spell. And, uh, if you're questioning as to how powerful a nuke is and you're thinking, oh, you know what, I'll maybe fire it at that enemy on the screen with me. Uh, I will say that this this weapon is so powerful that the entire screen is obliterated. And if you're standing in there, you'll be obliterated too. And so, very careful planning must be used in order to fire off this weapon. Um, and uh, so, I had spawned a wand that uh, fired a nuke on every spell, in addition to another spell. And this is uh, quite terrifying in its own right. And then I faced um, an enemy, and in the process of my battle, I was switching to go uh, <laughs> grab some berserkium. <laughs> Berserkium amplifies the damage that you do. Uh, and then I uh, went to go fire it off, and the screen was just beyond obliterated. There was, uh, there, there, there was absolutely nothing. But, uh, amazingly, I had, um, I had an extra life. So I died in a flash of fire and came back to life thanks to my extra life. And now I'm falling out of control uh, in this giant chasm uh, that was created by this nuke in, in, in an underground cave. And I get to the bottom of it, and uh, I see just chunks of gold raining from all the dead enemies around me. And then I see there's an, one of the basic enemies. He wields a shotgun. Uh, he's not that powerful, but he can pick up wands. And he sees the <laughs> wand that I was holding when I died, this nuclear wand, which is now standing on there on the ground. And he grabs it. And what does he do? Well, he's a mindless zombie, so he fires it. <laughs> and that was the end of the run. And it was so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. And... Uh, that's, that's, 
interesting though that like that it's it's is a fairly well I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fairly new game. It, I I forget when it was actually released. Twenty nineteen, I believe. Okay, it's relatively so new. A couple, relatively new, but like yeah. It's not all nostalgia here on the Angry Sun Zone. We play new games and can like them. We're not just grouches. <laughs> Despite the fact that I think the la- latest game that I have on here is 2015. I don't even what the I don't even know what the latest game I have on my list is. Well, that's what? something to think about later after you've given us your next game. Yeah. So, uh, well, technically, it's Dwarf Fortress because it's not released yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, my next game, my number 11 spot is uh, Team Fortress 2. And <laughs> Team Fortress 2... Team Fortress 2 is actually a hard game to talk about uh, these days because... Yeah, you said that again. <laughs> it is a different game today than it was when it was released. Than it was several years ago. Um it's it's uh, it's been updated and updated and updated. It still gets updates. Uh, Valve has supported Team Fortress 2 to an incredible extent. Um, not always for the best, in my opinion. Uh, but that said, I've spent probably close to 500 hours in Team Fortress 2. Uh, it's an incredible game. I Like, I literally... I don't quite know, because it... Uh, it <laughs> I, I Seriously, Steam... Steam wasn't even tracking playtime when I started playing Team Fortress 2. That's wow. how old the game... That's how long the game has been popular. Mm-hmm. Because it's been popular from day one. Um, but it is, in my opinion, one of the best... Uh, at, to- at, at times, it is one of the best uh, multiplayer team-based shooters out there. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's very interesting, especially in the early days. Uh, the game has a very strong design philosophy. Um, you might not realize it because of the cartoonish graphics, but a lot of work actually went into making those graphics like very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, I've, I've heard the character designers for that game talk about like the silhouette test basically uh, yeah yeah the silhouette yeah i mean y- y- they have a really interesting uh uh commentary that's like built into the maps in a lot of valve games actually mm-hmm. they're um, very good at that yeah and the one for the one for uh team fortress 2 like they talk a lot about like the, the design philosophy of the game and the silhouettes and how important that is in a class-based shooter um because it allows you to just add an instant recognize what you're up against um they of course completely destroyed their own design decisions uh, with the hats, hats and hats, with the cosmetics. Hats, 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 hats. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, 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 the the game is a very well. Uh, it's very. It, I, I also I, I want to say it's a very well balanced uh, uh, game too. Like the classes are all meaningfully able to contribute. Though it's weird nowadays. To, to a point, yeah. Um, and, well, especially because like you know the, all these new weapons and stuff. Like they make it, they've made it a lot more difficult to keep the game sort of uh, nicely balanced. Yeah. Um, I think it personally, I think the game peaked, uh, and then kind of got worse. Partly because of some of the issues with the um, 
like there's the silhouette issues right but uh, and then there's the issues where just like the team composition doesn't quite make as much sense because some of the wet like originally the weapon choices were very distinct where each class had a clearly defined role and uh and kind of um expected play style and that was important if you're playing in multiplayer because you could look at the classes that make up the team and mm -hmm. be like oh we don't have um a pyro uh if i play pyro that's going to be good because it's going to allow me to contribute to like more of a close combat ambush character um now the pyro has a bunch of other weird weapons and other classes have other weird weapons yeah. and it, it's overlap same uh, like, maybe, yeah yeah as much as i like to play the uh, sniper with the bow i thought that was really fun that fundamentally changed how the characters play it fundamentally yeah it fundamentally changes the character in a way where now it's not clear uh even what the role of that character is and mm -hmm. it makes it harder especially if you're playing in like just public room uh public servers to figure out like what the team needs in terms of like uh the actual combat roles so i'm actually not as big on the game these days um and then also like the thing i'll what I'll give credit to Valve for with Team Fortress 2 is I'm not sure if it was the first game with loot boxes and, like, cosmetics, but they 100% popularized it, uh, especially in, like, Western games. Mm -hmm. Especially the whole hat thing. Hats were not a thing, uh, really, uh, until Team mm -hmm. Fortress 2. And the hats originally were meant as just a bonus. Like, you'd unlock... you you get them... They just drop randomly in a lot of cases, right? No, you had people no, idling to get no, hats. No. Or was that no, something different? Not originally. Okay, so originally what Valve did was uh, because they were trying to just, like, give back to the fans for being so, like, uh, like because the game was still really popular and uh, they were like, yeah, we want to support the game. And they were releasing updates for the characters, and partly that was because they never finished their Meet the Team series of shorts, which are amazing. Um, the Meet the Team series, as well as uh, they have, they released a short film that's like 20 minutes long in the style oh, wow. of their shorts. That's incredible. It's absolute comedy gold. Uh, one, of, uh, one of the best short animations ever made, in my opinion. Uh, I think it's called, uh, what's it called? I can't remember. I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. You haven't seen it, so we'll have to show you. Anyway, the... Uh, so originally, uh, they were releasing some more of these shorts, like Meet the Pyro, Meet the Spy. Um, those two, the, Meet the Medic. And when they released those videos, they would release an update uh, that gave some new weapons, uh, as well as a hat, to the character. And to get them, you had to complete achievements to unlock them. Right, yeah, yeah. that's and, right. And typically, the hat achievements were, very, were more, a bit more difficult. Uh, than the weapon achievements because the hat was meant I think you had to complete all the achievements to get the hat yeah it's a little fucking hard whereas you only had to achieve you only had to achieve like some of them to get the uh, the weapons uh, and basically people just went bonkers over the hats for some reason like just completely crazy and the fans kept demanding more hats <laughs> uh, and then Valve kind of relented and just added and eventually they added hats into an update uh, that weren't character specific and uh, like you said dropped randomly that, that was the beginning of the end uh, because then later uh, they changed it with another update so that oh well now you don't just randomly get hats now you randomly get a crate 
that might contain hats or weapons. And then they started incorporating fan-made uh, model, like 3D models and weapons, like mm-hmm. uh, into the boxes. And uh, sometimes they weren't very well thought out or yeah, well designed. Yeah. That's Same the thing. Happened to Dota too. That's the thing. A lot of the, especially a lot of the weapons that have been added over the years, they just aren't very well designed because they are literally fan creations. And Valve, being a business, sees that they can get free assets for their game, essentially, and puts them in. Yeah. But it really, some of them have really not been good additions to the to the core gameplay. Um, that being said, Team Fortress Two is the the good old days. The good old of the, Team Fortress Two I, I think, were fantastic. I think somewhere around the, I think somewhere, I think the peak personally for me, the peak of the game, the peak of the game was. Um, uh, probably after they had added most of the weapons uh, for the various characters, because the first batch of weapons were actually pretty well thought out and made sense, um, and added uh, more variety to keep it interesting for people who'd been playing the whole time. Mm. But once they started, I think once they introduced the loot boxes, it really went downhill fast, personally. Uh, it's still a good game. I've played it, and it I still love it, but... Um, I do think the hat, the the cosmetics and loot boxes, really, they went too overboard with it. Uh, probably because it makes them a lot of money. Um, but unfortunately, oh, yeah. it did damage. Oh yeah, did damage the game <laughs> uh, personally. Um, being a team-based multiplayer shooter, you really are at the whims of the community actually being there, and. Not only has the Team Fortress 2 community always been uh, popular, but unlike a lot of other games, uh, it's still a good community where you can pick up the game uh, for the first time and not be completely uh, like like so unskilled that you are unable to even play the game. Um, especially because there's a variety of servers you can choose from uh, at a variety of skill levels. And so, anyway, that's what I... Uh, some thoughts about Team Fortress 2. Awesome. Uh, so, that's that's going to end uh, this this leg of our journey through our favorite games. I think going through five at a time makes the most sense. So, look forward to parts two and three in the coming weeks. Uh, we also have an email address now. Uh, angrysunzone at outlook.com so if any of you listeners have any questions, comments rants, wants to tell us how, how bad we are, you have an outlet for doing that. Yeah, you can you can scream at us about how we didn't put your favorite game on the list and then make a podcast about it. Yeah, you can scream at us for a game that you're like, oh my god, why didn't you put this game on the list and then not realize that we might have be able to talk about it later. Because we have more of our list it to go might through. be number one. And yeah. just remember, if you're going to be angry, wear sunglasses. And get in the zone. Yeah, so, bye everybody. See ya.